Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nolcast. Uh, Bud, as always, we will tip our hats to our partners in New Iberia, Louisiana. Louisiana Hot Sauce, one fantastic partner for us. Three simple ingredients, uh, one great product, consistent uh, with both the product that they put out and the support that they give us. So nice for us to go ahead and mention our title sponsor off the bat. And Bud, uh, we've got a little bit of this, that, and the other to kind of get to uh, here as we take one kind of quick look at the recruiting class now that we know it's total and complete composition. S&P projections are out, which are always an interesting time. Got a little transfer portal discussion, offensive line coaching change. Uh, it'll be a uh, it'll be a full episode that we put out here. And some recruiting talk at the end. I was at a uh, at a Nike event today. Really really excited to get this. Uh, probably some some more just surface level talk about a lot of different topics, but should have a, a full length show for you. Here tonight, uh, just kind of in order of the notes, uh, Bill Connolly, uh, who I work with at SP Nation, uh, put out his S&P Plus projections. That's uh, a system that I think a lot of Noel fans are very familiar with. It's becoming more and more uh, accepted as sort of the uh, the top college football projection system out there, at least, uh, at, at least among those which are publicly released. And so uh, I ran the numbers that Bill put out and I got uh, two most likely records, uh, seven and five or eight and four for the regular season. Just looking at it, uh, NC State and Louisville projected to be a little bit more, a little bit easier wins for Florida State than uh, than I would have thought. And Virginia actually uh, projected as a a more difficult game, perhaps because it's it's on the road uh, early, but uh, seven and five or eight and four, both of which, by the way, would would you know be comfortably uh, bowl eligible. Only an underdog, really, twice, as far as as far as the projections go, at Clemson and at Florida. So certainly an easier schedule, and then it devolved into a, an argument in the comments section about how much easier of a schedule. We had one commenter who's a, a longtime favorite of mine trying to argue that uh, the, just the Louisville and NC State games themselves were a, a net of two-plus wins easier. And I said, well, that that to me doesn't make any actual sense because that would basically be like saying that they went from like a, you know, New England Patriots-level team to a, like, FCS-level team, you know, full 1.0 to 0.0 type win projection. And uh, obviously not the case, but... Uh, then FPI came out, ESPN's uh, FPI projections, and I, I took a look at those and haven't actually published this yet, but I, I might do so this week. And they uh, they actually are even higher on Florida State, believe it or not. They have Florida State as a top 25 team here, Le- I mean, top 25 level team, maybe not finishing. You know, the schedule is still not easy. It's just not quite as hard as it was last year. But but I think Connolly had them as like a top 28 caliber team, and uh, ESPN had them as the top 20, I think they were 22nd or 23rd. That was interesting, and they're more on that eight and four train. So, just kind of wanted to bounce. I know we haven't actually discussed this element of the show yet. Uh, what What do you think? Is, is that kind of where you are? Do you feel that's reasonable? Are you higher? Are you lower? What, what Where are you at right now? Yeah, that's about where I am. I mean, for me, the 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 worst acceptable conclusion to to twenty nineteen is a is a year that starts with with seven wins. I, whenever anybody asks me about the you know the most optimistic ideas as to what's out there uh, surrounding either Taggart's future or the program, I, I think it's pretty easily to point to the schedule and say that you've got a real good chance to kind of get your feet back underneath you and you know restore some goodwill amongst the fan base and just get a get a better base of footing as to the direction the program's going in and. Uh, 
this is kind of in in par with that. So uh, eight and four, uh, seven and five, uh, kind of uh, flip a coin between either one. To be honest with you, right now, kind of back and forth. I, I, I do think there's a, a significant advantage to going eight and four. It just looks better, right? Eight and four is kind of more of a respectable record, you know. And and it, it's it's not hey, you got back to the bowl just by one game, like I, I think a lot of people would accurately say. If Florida State went seven and five. You're also able to, to sell real progress if you go eight and four. You're like, look, that's legitimately three wins better. Now, mm-hmm. granted, three wins better than a very bad uh, twenty you know twenty eighteen team, but that's real progress, um, and it also gives you a chance to potentially you know, to, to get to nine wins if you don't end up drawing, you know, like like the Belk Bowl. I, I think I would favor Florida State in almost all of its potential bowl matchups if it were to go seven and five or eight and four. Uh, with with maybe the exception of the belt because they have a habit of sending like the number number four SEC team uh, out of the West oftentimes uh, to that thing, which is usually a pretty good team. So yeah. Anyway, just I, I think those are those are interesting. So uh, if you break it down, really anywhere between like six and six and nine and three is very like a re- I, I, if you say hey we're going six and six hey we're going nine and three, I'm not arguing with you. That's only about a win and a half off of. What the best projection systems in the world have you? If, if you're kind of in that ten and two or five and seven camp, that's kind of where you start to lose me. If you're like a true believer in one of those outcomes, I'd, I'd like to hear sort of the the rationale behind that. But uh, anyway, it does it is encouraging that that a lot of these regression models uh, do uh, do seem to think Florida State will be comfortably back to a bowl. All right, we'll uh, start with the start with the sweet there, and move to a little bit of the sour of the uh, topic of Nick Cross. So, uh, a kid that you know, kind of everybody I imagine who is uh, invested in Florida State football enough to listen to an hour long podcast, pretty well, you know, the the idea of of the story surrounding this kid and his recruitment is probably fairly well known. Where you had a kid who wanted to go to one school, and this was not just something that developed over the last three weeks or so. This has been a long term. Um, the storyline's been consistent over the long term. Let me put it that way. Cross wanted to go to Florida State by all appearances. His parents mm, leaned a, a lot heavily towards Penn State, and somehow Maryland ended up um, taking a taking a fax with a letter of intent and a signature on it. So, uh, kind of an interesting compromise here, and we'll just kind of hash out exactly what what happened. Yeah. Uh, so pretty clear where he wanted to go. In fact, if you if you looked at his Twitter timeline, even after Maryland announced the news of his signing, uh, for a long time, the only thing I saw him retweet was Jaleel McRae basically saying, hey, like, like you know, much love, man. Go ball out, but we know where your heart truly was. Like, that's the item you retweet <laughs> after signing with your college? It, it It's very clear Nick Cross didn't want to go to Maryland, and, and we know for a fact he didn't want to go to Penn State. He wanted to go to Florida State. They did a very good job recruiting kid. They were not able to convince the dad, ultimately, that Florida State was the right spot for him. This is a guy, by the way, who was very sort of anti-Florida State before Florida State started losing all these games. He was just not pro-FSU, very academic-focused uh, guy. I mean, and, and I say this, I'm t- talking about literally over the summer. You know, we, we had the story where Cross was committed for – I think at least a week, if, if I think back now, uh, silently, because I know we had we had had in our show notes for a long time. Hey, like when are we going to talk about this? You know, and you don't want to necessarily ruin a kid's moment. And so he was like, "Well, you know, got to get the dad to sign off on it." He, he already gave the silent commit to the staff over the summer. 
ultimately they were not able to convince the dad that Florida State was an okay place to go to college. Uh, didn't, didn't seem to hurt me, but, uh, you know, sometimes you win some, you lose some with parents. But, Ingram, I do think we finally have evidence here of a legitimate compromise situation, right? Like, we, we always talk about this. Oh, well, hey, this school could be a compromise. Hey, here's a compromise. What Mom wants this. Kid wants this. This choice is sort of somewhat palatable to both. Maybe he'll just end up picking here. And I kind of was struggling for like great examples of that, even though I knew it had happened, but people had asked us, Hey, what, like, has this ever happened? Like, is that actually like something that could happen? And ultimately, yes, that did happen here. So Nick Cross is, is now my A number one example of a kid uh, ultimately picking a, a compromised school when, when he and the parent uh, neither could agree on their top choice. So definitely sucks for Florida state to lose Nick Cross, a really, really special athlete. And, uh, and, by all accounts, a, a, a special kid. You know, I spoke with him. I was pretty impressed when I talked to him. Um, softens the blow, blow a little bit that that it's at a position where you did recruit extremely well this cycle. I, I think the fan base would uh, probably rightfully be more in panic mode over uh, you know over losing the kid like Cross if he was at a position where, where you did not recruit very well. But it's still not a good thing to have happen. I mean, it, it lowers your your class ranking. You know, people had given us. Uh, some flack for saying this was probably the worst class in a decade, recruiting rankings-wise, but uh, it was. We, we were right about that. And uh, so we have a listener question here from John. John says, uh, sucks to lose him and that his parents didn't support his choice, but we benefited from the same scenario, haven't we? Didn't Matthew Thomas not want to sign here, but his mom wanted him to after she passed? He, he wanted to transfer, but decided to stay. I uh, wish he had uh, become the superstar we all uh, saw he could be, and he actually is still in the NFL, I'm pretty sure, with the Steelers. But in my mind, that was our Nick Cross. This happens to kids uh, to kids uh, or more programs than just our recruiting level as fans. I'm not really sure that last sentence was English, but I think he just is saying this happens to more uh, than we realize. Uh, any thoughts on this fair comparison? Yeah, I think somewhat of a fair comparison. There was the whole transfer scenario with uh, with Cross and or, or excuse me with, with with Thomas, and already people are thinking that that, that Cross is is likely to put his name into the transfer portal. Uh, how soon? <laughs> you know, I got a lot of texts about that. Oh, hey, you know, get can, can I take August in the in the transfer portal pool uh, with with Nick Cross? <laughs> so I, I do wish the kid well, and and yeah, I think that's a somewhat of a fair comparison. I think it's uh I think it's very fair to point out. I I don't think it's appropriate for us to go dropping names, but there's there's possibly members in this class who would have looked around if not for their parents' insistency on Florida State. So it's not as though as as though Florida State has um you know is the only program that enters this or is always batting uh, battling a losing you know losing battle with, with parents. Uh, I think it's just uh, something that kind of sticks in people's mind and, and maybe they aren't fully made aware as to when the uh, when the situation works out in their favor as much and so uh, it's just not as not as cognizant to people when they look back and at historical comparisons. Maybe some of the kids that uh, weren't going to sign early and, and were going to take some visits and then all of a sudden ended up not visiting anywhere else at all uh, and, and either signing early or just staying committed. Maybe and those kids. Those. Yes, maybe maybe one of those kids or a yeah, couple hints, of them. So Two hints there. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so uh, from that news to uh, this news, Len Dickerson is in the uh, the transfer portal, uh, reported first by uh, Cole Kublik. I'm not really sure reporting on this matter. It's just – the name gets added to the portal and a coach texts you 
uh, typically, unless you have a portal login, which I don't. That'd be really cool, though. If you guys want to hit me with a portal login, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm all about it. Cole seems to have the transfer portal information unlocked. So, uh, I wonder if Cole has a login. I, w- I wonder if he does have a, a portal login. He certainly has, uh, he certainly has some some access to information and a tip of a hat to him because he's he's been uh, he's been on the leading edge of the portal news. NCAA is going to be checking these IP addresses. Like, all right, Homewood, Alabama, matching. <laughs> oh gosh. Uh, so ultimately, that's not good news for Florida State at all. Landon Dickerson in the transfer portal. Now, look, that does not mean he's transferring. We've certainly seen other guys this offseason go into the portal. And I'm trying to do a portal noise, but that was not very good. So, yeah, uh, Dickerson in the portal. Uh, why is Dickerson in the portal? Uh, I, I don't think that Dickerson's been very happy at Florida State since Trickett left, to be honest. Uh, I, I think he really did like Trickett a lot, and I don't think that the same relationship is there. Did the topic we're going to talk about next influence this at all? Potentially. And that, that would be obviously Greg Fry being, being let go by, by Taggart or was the, you know, what was the Greg Fry move in response to Dickerson saying he wanted to go into the portal? Did they get along very well? I'm not so sure about that. Actually. Uh, I, I I have heard some things. They being relationship was not the best. Fry and Dickerson, correct. Yeah. Okay. Um, so they're kind of in a wait and see mode. I think they would love to have Landon Dick, Landon Dickerson back. I think that when he's healthy, he's their best offensive lineman. And I don't know that there's a whole lot of debate. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't think there is. Unfortunately, the qualifier that you put on there is uh, is is not nearly as. Uh, as applicable uh, as far as him being able to actually play as, as much as you, myself, Landon, or anybody else would like. Um, it's just been a it's been a frustrating ride, and I would hate it for uh, for Florida State with what it would mean for the depth. But if if I was in that kid's situation, I, I, you know, maybe the idea of a, of, of pressing the the restart button uh, would be one that would be somewhat challenging not to do. Uh, doesn't mean that it's necessarily going to bring you a better bout of health, but you know, maybe you look around and think a change of setting might help. There's also so the the portal information is fairly clear once somebody goes in uh you know you you see somebody report it uh after either they being able to see it or talking to a coach with direct access to it if a if a prospect removes his name i know that that's been bannered out there we don't i don't think either of us is able to confirm that that's the case or not but that, there's a little bit more ambiguity when something like that takes place so um you know maybe dickerson's still in the portal maybe he's not but there's a, a little bit less of a definitive confirmation when a prospect enters and then may remove or labels himself at uh, you know whatever level of interest that he's uh, wanting to t- partake in or receive. So a little bit of ambiguity involving kind of the status of these kids once they enter the portal. Right, and and we we don't know if he, if he's pulled his name out of the portal. I. I I could find out, but it, but it also takes a little bit of time on that at times. As, as we saw with the James Blackman thing, you can actually fill out the paperwork, and then the school has a certain amount of time to actually put that paperwork in and for it to be processed and, and for your name to be actually added to the portal. The problem here is that Dickerson is one of the few guys on the roster who you actually think can play tackle, right? I'm of the opinion that, that Juwan Williams and Bellow are, are zeros as far as – on the field contributions. I don't think you can, you can expect anything from those guys at all going forward. Dickerson 
Look, his, his ideal spot is not tackle. His ideal spot is guard. And I think he's a, a pretty good guard and maybe a decent tackle, which you didn't have a decent tackle last year on your roster. So that's a big deal. If he doesn't come back, it definitely hurts you at tackle because you you, you brought in Ryan Roberts, and the, the, the Northern Illinois player, who's going to have you know one year to play one and honestly showed up for his visit looking great. So that's actually some good news for a program that sorely needs it at that spot. You have Jay Williams, the junior college guy you brought in, who I think is is going to challenge for a starting spot. Behind him, though, you know, is is Jalen Goss, a, a guy, is a second-year player who's ready to start? I, I sort of doubt that. Maybe he could be a, a key reserve in year two before you know potentially taking a starting role in year three. You know, is is Christian Meadows able not Christian Meadows, excuse me, but, but is Christian Armstrong able to actually play uh play tackle at, at a high level? I, I from what I had heard, he has a long way to go from from where he was as a freshman. Is Ira Henry a guy who can play early? I I don't believe so, not at tackle. So you're you're very thin there at tackle if Dickerson leaves. And even if, if Dickerson had had stayed, I don't know that he would have necessarily played tackle, but I think he would have been slotted in your sort of like all hands on deck emergency depth chart, right? Of, okay, let's say one of the tackles went down. Then, hey, Landon, can you slide over and play some tackle for us where, where we move a guard uh, in? So hopefully they can, they can get Landon Dickerson back if they can't. I mean, it, it's – is he a guy that's totally bought into the program? I, I think it's fair to say he's not. Right. I mean, he's in the transfer portal. You do want to flip the culture. At the same time, you do have to balance the guys who you want to keep here. And they need Dickerson, I think, to to have the best year they can possibly have. Can they still have a good year without Dickerson? Yeah, but I don't think they can have the best year they can possibly have without Dickerson. And so I don't think that's a net positive. I've, I've seen some spin on that, I, I think, from – some other media members about how you know this helps flip the culture and and maybe it does help flip the culture if he was actually to leave but I I, I don't think that's a net positive overall man personally I, maybe I'd be a negative but I, I I don't think it is. We'll pause real briefly to thank our friends at Madison Social uh, Podcast uh, sponsor with us since uh, since show number one. Uh, fantastic people that we often talk about as just like a uh, just an integral part of being a Florida State fan or the experience of, uh, of following Florida State athletics. Just give a real quick example. I don't know what the perfect terminology here is, but they're they're like a community multiplier. I saw yesterday where they had. Uh, Retweeted a, a listener of ours, actually, that's out in uh, the Colorado area who had reached out to Madison Social looking to find other uh, Florida State grads in the area. And she was able to go out, make some new friends, meet some knolls that she otherwise wouldn't have uh, crossed paths with, and in large part thanks to Madison Social. So all of those like uh, pieces in that story would have been there. They all would have had Florida State degrees, uh, but I don't know that they ever would have necessarily crossed paths. Uh, and that's why I, I, I kind of refer to them as a, a community multiplier and uh, they're just great people to work with they've enhanced the experience it is being a fan of florida state athletics in uh, numerous ways and that was just another example and hey look if you're a local listener baseball fan 
can't imagine there being a better place uh, for this type of season in Madison Social. Uh, tailgating for baseball isn't necessarily always the easiest thing to do. Some people have it down to a science. I'm not trying to trying to uh, question anybody's uh, tailgate prowess, but uh, there's not a better place in Tallahassee, and there's, there are not too many better places throughout the southeast as far as uh, pairing location and uh, in college baseball and Madison Social and uh, and all of the for the table restaurant groups down there at Tallahassee. Uh, college town are, are great pieces to uh, keep in the back of your mind as we all as kind of fans experience Mike Martin's final year at Florida State. I hear that, man. I mean, it, it, getting down to the games this year is going to be a major priority for people. It is hard to get off work like four hours early to set up a tailgate for a baseball game. A little bit easier to get off an hour early. Get down to Madso, have a beer, have a, one of their great burgers or, or something a little bit lighter, maybe one of their, their excellent salads. Then just walk, walk on over to Hauser. Just – Short walk, awesome walk. Go do it. It would be a it would be a tough situation to overcome, and it would certainly have been uh, not that you weren't able or aggressively trying to sell uh, playing time out on the recruiting trail, but it's it's probably a card that you would have would have liked to have had and had liked to have known about a little bit earlier. So, look, something will. We'll watch, follow, and continue to uh, comment on and. Uh, it's a pretty pretty seamless transition from uh, talking about Dickerson to talking about uh, his previous coach and uh, potentially his uh, his future coach as well here. Yeah, so the news that uh, Greg Fry is out as Florida State's offensive line coach uh, was met with uh, cheers by some and, and jeers by others. A uh, lot to talk about here, right? So was this the right move? Uh, was the timing of the move right? You know, do you feel bad for Greg Fry? Do you feel bad for the players? Uh, do you feel bad for potential recruits? Uh, why was Greg Fry out there recruiting for you? Why didn't they just make this move earlier? All these questions, I think, are uh, relevant ones for us to answer. But as of now, Greg Fry uh, is out as as Florida State's offensive line coach. Uh, we thought for a while that Randy Clements would uh, – be in as offensive line coach. We did not know if he would be a co-O-line coach with Greg Fry or if he would be the solo offensive line coach like I now expect him to be. And it wasn't just a feel thing. That's something we actually said for months, right? Like, hey, they're in a standoff with Houston. We know about the buyout. Houston's leaving leaving Clements on the website, blah, blah, blah. Although now it's actually been taken down apparently. So very interesting news if you're into following the the happenings of Houston's Athletic Department website. Uh, several of y'all are, we know, because you emailed us about it, uh, which was very cool. So I guess we'll just start. Ingram, do you think that uh, letting Greg Fry go was the right move? I don't have any problems with when it was made. I, I, I certainly I certainly understand like, oh, you could have let him go to the convention. You could have let him do some of these things. But I, I don't, uh, in this industry... I'm not trying to be over dramatic, but it's it's kind of the life you chose. I mean, you you, you can get fired at times that uh, are certainly less than ideal for you and your professional future. And I I understand why it took place. I was never a fan of this uh, standoff that we've been in with uh, with Houston over a buyout. I think that was a in in retrospect probably not a, a good allocation of resources or lack of their. And I don't know that it was necessarily beneficial for you either. I don't have any problem with him being let go. I think it's a tough thing to have happen to somebody, particularly uh, uh, an alumnus and somebody that uh, 
that some in the fan base have have a lot of goodwill towards. But uh, when that type of product gets put out on the field last year, I think you have to realize that uh, there's there's very few. Uh, not that there's a ton of job security in this industry at any time, but that uh, all of that had been stripped away pretty quickly. So I I think there's there's levels to this thing. How much of the offensive line being bad was poor coaching by Greg Fry? How much of it was a lack of personnel that Florida State just didn't have once the guys got hurt? I tend to think more of it was the latter. Okay, I, I really do. I, I, I think that you could probably take like whoever you think the best offensive line coach in the world is and put him in there in 2018, and Florida State still would have had a bad offensive line. Maybe not like worse than the power five by a mile bad, but still bad. And yet we know that, I mean, just by his own actions, we, we know Willie Taggart was not, was not happy with, with Greg Fry's job coaching the offensive line, right? He looked disgusted at the number of mistakes they made. He also went down there and was like personally instructing them in practice several times. In fact, that one week he was down there almost every day, if you recall. That's probably not a move you want to have to make if you're an offensive, if you're a head coach. However, it was a move that needed to be made, in my opinion, just because the, the guys they have there are so ill-equipped to play college football at this level, which is neither Greg nor nor Willie's fault, but. I don't have a problem making the move. I, I, I agree with you there. I understand the complaints about about the timing. Greg Fry being a knoll uh, is is certainly something that resonates with the fan base. However, I would also say that Greg Fry being a knoll uh, is something that helped him get this job in the first place. So, yes, does it suck to fire a knoll after the convention? Yes. Would he have gotten this job if he did not have Florida State connections? I don't know. I think the chance would be less if he was just some, you know, if he was like like a, you know, a Georgia alum or something like that. I do expect the the quality of offensive line coaching to increase. We also know that look, Kendall Bryles wanted to bring Randy Clements in, and it was not a secret. I mean, we've talked about this for what did it say the the eight the eighteenth. I mean, we're. We've had a bit to talk about this for probably about eight weeks now, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we have. I chuckled just because I, I, I get a good chuckle at people who are like blindsided. <laughs> I've yeah, well, or like, ooh, if you would have listened to me, you'd have known this information before anybody. No, no, this has been common knowledge and openly discussed for a long, long time. But um, sure, I'm picking up what you're putting down there. So ultimately, I don't feel bad for Greg at all. This is a a mercenary position, you get paid a ton of money to coach. And when you get fired, you also get paid a lot of money. That's the nature of of the business. Who I feel bad for is the kids that Greg recruited. And by all accounts, he did recruit well uh, down the stretch. Now, maybe not during the year as much, but I do think that he is able to connect with some kids pretty well. And Man, I, 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 this is not a Florida State commentary here that I'm about to make. By the way, it's just it, it's 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 you know nationwide. The timing of the signing days is really bad for kids. If they would implement my proposal that I, I suggested on SBNation.com over a year ago, that if you sign with a school and you and the school have, have to agree on four coaches, that if they go before the start of the season, you can get out without penalty. The head coach. Your coordinator on your side of the ball, you and the school disagree. Not hard to agree there. Position coach, 
and your area recruiter, the, the guy who is in charge of recruiting you the most, if any of those four go, then you have the option to get out of your letter of intent and not lose a year of eligibility. I think that is the most fair way to treat college football. Now, certainly fans wouldn't like it in some ways because they would occasionally lose players. Coaches would hate it, but the kids would actually get a win for once, which is why the NCAA won't, you know, won't, won't even consider doing that. But I do feel bad for the kids who signed to, to play with Greg, and uh, it shows that Florida State is, is not more on the up and up than any other school out there. It's also not less on the up and up. I've seen every single school out there basically do this thing where they they sign kids and then immediately after, boom, that coach is gone. And in many cases, the, the move has been known for months. Uh, in this case, I don't know that that was necessarily the case fully, but I, I do think you'd have to be an absolute moron not to think the Florida State was was looking to bring in Randy Clements. Didn't uh, uh, I, I didn't mean to interrupt you there, but didn't Damian Craig get let go like 14 hours after signing day two years ago? From LSU, so that was an interesting one. Yeah, wait, he went. I thought he went from Auburn to LSU, but then yes, LSU let him go. Uh, there's a story about how quickly he was out of Auburn to to, to go to LSU, and a, a certain a certain pullover of one color and and a and a, uh, and a polo of another on signing day. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, but I but I don't. I, I have no idea if that's actually true. So yeah, he was co OC at Auburn. For, th- for three seasons and then uh, and only one year at uh, at LSU and then came back and uh, uh, was at, at Florida State for one year uh, and now he's coaching uh, receivers at A&M. That guy kind of rotates in, in a circle around Mobile uh, as, as he should. <laughs> um, very, very connected there in Mobile. So, okay. The timing of the move, not ideal, I would say, for the kids. For Greg, certainly probably not a deal, but I have a hard time feeling bad for somebody who was getting paid, you know, over half a million dollars a year to coach offensive line and to do so poorly. And by the way, some guys on staff really didn't get along with him very well. You know, I I, I don't know that he was a jerk, but at the same time, probably not the most beloved guy on staff there, in my opinion. Maybe not the easiest to deal with. So, sucks for the kids. For Greg, probably not good. It's not a good PR look for Willie. He also it's also a move that he I'm sure he probably didn't want to do this now, right? He if you asked Willie said, "Hey, coach Taggart, would you prefer to do this back in in, you know, late December? Just get Randy and have this thing be done?" The answer is probably yes. No, I, it almost certainly I mean, it is. Was, I mean, it was out of, it was out of his control as yeah. to when when the Clements thing could get done. When I am uh, critical of Taggart, this is one of the things that I point to either aloud or in my mind uh, with some of the crap that he's had to deal with. And this, you know, game of of chicken with Houston and their buyout is is one of them. I I don't think it was a great idea. I think it's also – it hasn't soured your relationship with Bryles, but it's certainly, um, you know, given him – question to or given him ability to question the university's future uh, financial wherewithal to make things happen. It's just a it's been an unfortunate situation that is tied to a much broader conversation and something that we'll continue to talk about over uh, uh, over the offseason. And and that is kind of Florida State's financial standing right now. But Taggart and everybody else had to deal with the situation that was, and that was Florida State was trying to find a way to avoid paying a paying an offensive line buyout. 
So, and, and obviously, like, like Clements has not been officially, officially announced yet. And we actually don't know what, uh, uh, what the final terms of, of that buyout will be. Uh, who knows if they re- reached some sort of agreement with Houston or not. I, uh, I don't know. Uh, by the way, I did see a clip today of uh, Kendall Bryles uh, and Randy Clements coaching at, at the University of Houston. And Ingram, do you know what was going on in the background of that practice? Uh, I'd love to know. What was that? Music. Mm. Music. There was, there was rap music being played. Well, I'm sure the team lacked uh, discipline and uh, all kinds of things later on. But in the moment, that was probably a lot of fun for everybody. It, indeed. Uh, so, um, speaking of rap music, I heard a lot of it today because uh, I was at the uh, Nike uh, opening regional camp there in Miami. And before we get to that, I do want to talk a little bit about the recruiting needs, uh, Florida State's recruiting needs. I I do this every year. I take a look numerically at the roster, and you kind of ha- this is basically what a coaching staff does, okay? And I didn't get this from Florida State staff. I I don't need to bug them about something like this. I, I can count uh, and 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 project just just fine. Basically, what you do is you look at who's graduating, you look at who will be a senior, and then you kind of look at the distribution of your upperclassmen and underclassmen. So I'm just going to run through this really quickly. Uh, quarterback, Ingram, how many think you think Florida State should take two quarterbacks this year? I think it'd be good to at least sign one. Yeah, step in the right one direction. One would be a good building block, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, baby steps on this thing. But uh, I, I do think you need to take two. They already have Jeff Sims in the fold, which is great. Jeff Jeff is doing a good job recruiting for Florida State and uh, and has uh, has some very quality teammates, uh, both on his high school team and, and on his seven-on team. So uh, two running backs. They didn't take a running back this year. We, we've praised them for the move of not just reaching to take a body and instead taking a high-quality walk-on like Treshawn Ward. Uh, I think that's still a pretty savvy move there. So definitely want to take two backs this year. Did speak to Jalen uh, Knighton today. He's, uh, he's he's pretty high on Florida State. However, Clemson uh, is very clearly his leader. I asked him, okay, like, hey, Clemson is going to be a hat on your final table, obviously. Uh, his defensive coordinator there at, at Deerfield – played with, with, with Brent Venables at Kansas State. So there, there's a certain level of trust there, uh, no doubt. And he does care about, about job security and program security. But I asked him, I said, hey, you know, who, who would be the, the guaranteed final hats on, on your table? And he said, well, you know, Clemson, obviously, uh, and then also uh, Ohio State and Oklahoma, where he was committed, uh, Knighton was for a while before he decommitted. So some work to be done there, no doubt, on, on Jalen Knighton, the, the running back out of Deerfield Beach, but there's a number of targets they're pretty high on uh, who also have have reciprocated uh, the love back to them. Receiver, I I think they need to take four receivers this year. They only took one in the previous class, uh, and in the the class prior to that, they did take a big class. Keith Gavin um, is going to be graduating, or at least this is his last year. DJ Matthews, who knows, you know, if if he'll be around for four years. Tamari and Terry will be draft-eligible. Not that he's necessarily going to going to declare, but uh, this this could be his money year. It is his third year in the program, so I, I think taking four is appropriate. If you wanted to go five, if you got five really special guys, I could see it. I would take a tight end in this class, um, so that, that's one. Offensive line, I would take about a hundred. No, I'm just kidding, but only somewhat. I, I would take five offensive linemen this year. You took uh, you took three high school kids. This this past class uh, with um, no excuse me four not not three sorry guys uh, you took four with, with Lucas 
Smith, Henry, and Washington. And in the prior class, you also took four. You know, Meadows, Armstrong, uh, Jalen Goss, and and Chaz Neal. I would take five, including at least two high school tackles. Uh, but but the focus needs to be on the outside there. Uh, we have seen, Edgar, you're going to be happy about this, a wide, aggressive net of offers being thrown out. So got to like that. Very, uh, very positive news there from Florida State. You know, they're, they're on Jalen Rivers. They're on the Braun kid. They're on Herring. They recently offered the kid out of Venice, who I think is a pretty good offer. He had a nice Under Armour camp based on the clips that I saw. Two other kids that, that I saw today who I think Florida State should offer. Uh, one would be Gerald Mincy, kid out of um, out of South Florida. And then Isaiah Walker, who's actually committed to South Carolina, but nobody really expects him to stay committed to South Carolina. He's out of Miami Norland High School. Uh, and if you're Googling that to watch film, his name is actually spelled I-S-S-I-A-H uh, Walker. So double S is in Isaiah here. Uh, but he was pretty impressive today. Apparently got hurt a little bit in drills, but had good one-on-one. So two more guys I think Florida State should probably get on. And I wouldn't be surprised to actually see FSU uh, do just that maybe in the coming weeks. Four defensive linemen. They need to get a stud here on the on the defensive line for sure. In my opinion, this is the one area where they've taken too many kids who are not Florida State caliber players, too much filler, too many guys who are just sort of, you know, floor, not ceiling. They need to get some studs there on the defensive line and, uh, you know, got to do what you got to do. Drop the bags, whatever it takes, but uh, sell the playing time, et cetera. And now it may be a little harder to sell playing time if you just take if you just took so many guys like they, like they did recently, right? You're going to have to say, hey, uh, you know, we took those guys for depth, but – just between you and me, you're gonna have to beat them out, but but they're they're beatable. You 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 can play early here. That's a little bit tougher sell. Again, that's why I didn't like taking so many so many bodies. You know, Jags backers. I would take three. I, I could see a case for taking four if, if if four studs fall in your lap, but they're already off to a great start there at linebacker. And then with defensive back, I, I would take four again. I, I think you're gonna have some attrition there in the underclassmen ranks coming. And, uh, and if you have four guys who, who are studs and they, they want to beat down your door to come, I would go ahead and take them. Nolcast also brought to you by Resolution Home Loans. Resolution Home Loans. When you call 844-FSU-LOAN or you visit FSUHomeLoans.com, you're going to get hooked up with Shannon Young. He just knocked out my mortgage, did a great job. And the process was so easy, informative throughout, great rate. And you know, on this show, we're going to talk a little bit more about some of the different elements of the mortgage process with them. But I got to say, the easy online application, eight minutes from start to finish for your pre-approval. And that that was legit. I mean, my, my wife was heading to the gym uh, and I said, hey, babe, let's knock this out real quick. She goes, okay, cool. Done. Got it. Easy. You can link it directly to your bank accounts to reduce your paperwork required. Can also link up with the work number to reduce income documentation required. They make the process easy. The online portal. Hey, the portal. They have a portal, man. Look at that. They have a portal, the transfer portal. They, they, they want to transfer that mortgage to you. Uh, you get 20, 24-7 access to that. And I actually did use that a couple of times to look at look at some documents we'd already uploaded. Uh, and you can also stay informed of where your loan is within the approval process. So great transparency there from Resolution Home Loans. Check out their online reviews and uh, give them a call 844-FSU-LOAN or visit FSUHomeLoans.com. It'll be uh, it'll be fun, and we've certainly talked about the importance of this recruiting class. Something that has been uh, uh, echoed by others, and uh, it kind of 
folds into our listener question here. Uh, Trey asks a hypothetical: Would you rather see Florida State go eight and four and finish with a top five recruiting class in twenty twenty? Or go ten and two and finish with a top ten class. I'll just answer real quickly and give it to you, Bud. For me, uh, bizarre that I would ever say this, but I'd really rather take the eight and four uh, because I think eight and four gets you to a place where you have momentum on the field. It lets you sell Taggart's historic track record of turnarounds, and more importantly, it means you've got enough bodies to have a top five class. And Florida State desperately needs a a top five, a national elite level uh, class in, indicative of the type of talent that makes up the class. And there's nothing wrong with signing a top 10 class, but in my opinion, a top five class means you probably sign one or two other, you know, real difference makers and uh, guys that are, have the ability to perform at a different level. And that's not something that you have had a whole lot of over the past two years. Okay. So this is a really interesting question. I, I was initially on, on board with you there. In looking at the quality of the classes between 6 and 10 this year, I thought they were pretty good overall. Uh, I mean, just looking at it, we had we had uh, Texas barely beating out Texas A&M and LSU. I think LSU ended up finishing, what, 6 nationally? In recruiting, I'm just pulling them up here just to make sure. To me, the, the crux of this question is going to be decided on, are we talking about like a number 10 recruiting class, or are we talking about a class that is – like just top 10. So like, like are we weighing like, like a number four class for, versus a number seven? You know, if in that case, I say, give me the two extra wins, right? Go, go 10 and two. If it's like a, like a number five versus a number 10 class, then I think it, it's, for me, it's sort of coin flippy. I'm, I'm totally cool with, with, with either direction, to be honest. Um, you know, most all of, the, of, of the, the classes that were in the top 10 this year, I really liked but yeah, I, I do think top five class is is maybe a little bit preferable, uh, especially because you are taking so many guys, right? I, if if you take as many as I think they're going to yeah, take, that's a good I, point. They might take 26. yeah, if you have that many numbers. If you take twenty six and you're and you're only number ten, to me that's not quite as impressive. Although Clemson took allegedly twenty nine here, but yeah, you know, we'll we'll see if their publisher did something funky with this. Yeah, maybe so. Sometimes, by the way, I just a, a little uh, behind behind the, the, the curtain. When I put together the blue chip ratio, I have to go and manually pull out all these walk-ons that some of these uh, website publishers for rivals or two four seven, for whatever reason, include in their signing class. It is the biggest pain. It takes me like a whole week to go through all this data and cross-reference. I'm like, wait, did they sign this kid? Because I only count signees, you know. And sometimes these kids will get like like assigned a, a two star ranking. And I'm like, wait, did they really take a two star? Like, it's, just, it's so out of character for you know Alabama to take a two star linebacker uh, who I've never heard of uh, on signing day. That's so weird. Uh, but yeah, so when you're looking at recruiting rankings, it, it's it's not a, a huge issue, but I do care about accuracy for for my dad. Got to make sure you uh, you back the Herb Street kids out of Clemson's class. Correct. Yeah, the, the Herb Street kids. Um, although Venable's kids are. are, are we're actually playing there now, um, so he's uh, he's not going anywhere for a while. I actually had a little conversation about him today with the uh, with the high school coach. So Florida State does have a chance to sign a, a a top five class. Obviously, that's going to be somewhat dependent on what they do on the field. To answer the the question from Trey, it, both of these options are really good. If you go ten and two, and you sign a top ten class. 
there will be some people who are like, man, they, they got to do a better job in recruiting. That's fair. But I don't think you're going to have a whole lot of reasonable people be like, oh, my God, this is terrible. They went 10-2 inside a top 10 class coming off of what happened in 2018. Additionally, if you do go 8-4 and four and you're able to sign a top 5 class, I think the message is hey, like to the fans, hey, these super elite recruits believe in Willie. Maybe you should too. It's a lot more to ask recruits to believe in him than a fan to believe in him. You know? It's not like the fans sign away the next four years of their life. So, I don't know, very interesting question. I, I, I like those, and you can always send questions to uh, the Nolcast at gmail.com. Final uh, question here. Hey, guys, I'm a big fan, regular listener, and respect your opinion. Uh, with that said, what's up with Nolan McDonald? Oh, good. Another question about this individual. Every quarterback conversation I hear makes it sound like he's not worth mentioning. Didn't he have some legitimate offers? Assuming a worst-case scenario came to fruition, is the, opi- is the opinion that Lance Lejeune would have been a better option after a few months on the team than McDonald after a year in the system? Thanks for your time. Looking forward to your insight. Go Knowles. Okay, so very, very very appreciative of the question. And the reason why I included this question is because I'm like 110% sure I covered this in the last episode. But this guy's a regular listener, and if he didn't pick it up in the last episode, and this question came well after the last episode, so I know I know he's listened to it, then maybe I did not do a good enough job getting the message across. Is Nolan McDonald good for a walk-on? Yes. Is he a Florida State quality quarterback? Scholarship-wise, in my opinion, no. He's a great emergency option to have. You do not want him to be the number two quarterback if he's your number three quarterback, which is usually your emergency guy You know, on, on the year. That's fine. I think you're actually going to see schools try to take advantage of this inefficiency more now as the transfer portal becomes a thing and more and more schools are unable to actually carry four quarterbacks on their roster. Florida State's problem, by the way, is not that they can't carry four. Uh, it's that they only have two, and right now only one is eligible as they await uh, Jordan Travis's waiver situation. However, yeah, he did have some legitimate offers. He, he had some legitimate legitimate interest from schools. And had Florida State not signed his brother, Cam McDonald, the tight end, uh, he would not be here uh, at Florida State, and uh, they would be uh, in an even worse situation quarterback-wise. Would Lejean have been ahead of him on the depth chart, assuming that he actually – a, signed with Florida State, which didn't happen, and B, qualified for Florida State, which, again, we we, we got to see if he's actually going to qualify or not. Uh, I, I don't think so. Uh, no, I, I, I don't think it's a lock that he would not have been. However, I do think that people who would automatically put Lejean over McDonald, despite the fact that McDonald has a year in the system already uh, and, and three semesters on campus more than, more than Lejean would have had, those people would, would have probably been a little bit presumptive, perhaps to their detriment in doing so. So interesting question there. Yeah, uh, that, that's something I, it may be repetitive for some of y'all, but I just, I do think maybe we didn't do a great job covering that. I, I haven't gone back and listened to the last show, but I, I do think we talked about this. Yeah. Yeah, we do. And, and uh, nothing against Nolan McDonald. Hats off to him. Uh, trust me, I, I would have been my lifelong dream as a child to walk on and potentially earn uh, any type of playing at uh, playing time at, at quarterback for Florida State. But I just think that uh, 
some in the fan base with a with a, a grasp to try to find anything positive, and I admire you for that uh, personal trait, have kind of locked on to this individual at a level that's kind of bizarre to make sense of. But uh, McDonald, talented kid, certainly uh, a skill set that is not indicative of necessarily being a walk-on, but I think if you're banking on him being the, uh, the answer to some quarterback uh, concerns that ultimately you might be uh, putting yourself in a place to be uh, to be disappointed. Are you familiar with what is called uh, law of the instrument? Uh, no, I'm not. Although this sounds like this could be potentially a uh, interesting lesson here. Uh, you know a- Abraham Maslow? Uh, name's familiar. Yes. Uh, philosopher has you know uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. He said, uh, "I suppose it is tempting if the only tool you have is a hammer to treat everything as if it were a nail." So I, I, that just came to mind when you were discussing the. Uh, the, the fans who look for the positive everything or look for the negative anything, just try to you know look at situations as they present themselves. And sometimes you know, they, they do uh, deserve positivity and sometimes they deserve negativity, right? Not everything is good. Not everything is bad. Fair enough, sir. And with that uh, nice little educational lesson, this will bring an end to the uh, latest Nullcast. As always, thank you to our listeners. Thank you to our sponsors. Bud, enjoyed uh, enjoyed this as always, and we'll try to be back uh, sometime in the next week or so. We, we don't have a set schedule here uh, in the offseason, try to bring you a, uh, a podcast when we feel uh, content is warranted, and that was certainly the case for this evening. So uh, for Bud and myself, appreciate the listen, uh, appreciate the support that you've given us over the years and we'll look forward to doing another one of these in the near future.